All right. So tonight, again, we are going to be in Luke chapter eight. So please go ahead and turn there. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be teaching out of the new King James version. That's just kind of my preferred version. Just what I teach out of. And again, we're going to see teaching, hearing and obeying or doing. And so we're going to look first at verses one through 15, but we're going to start with verse one through three. Look what it says here in Luke chapter eight. It says, now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, speaking to the disciples, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chidza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So, in verses 1 through 3, what we're seeing in Luke is we're, we're being told that Jesus is continuing to tour through Galilee teaching. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God to any and to all that would listen. And see, Luke 19, verse 10, that's the theme verse for the book of Luke. It says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus, we know, he didn't come to call the righteous he came to call the sick to repentance, sinners to repent. And see, for you and I tonight, we want to make sure that the first thing we do is say we are here because we understand that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen. And what we need is we need Jesus Christ to speak into our life. We need his word to tell us what it is that we're to do while we're here on earth and what we need to do to inherit eternal life through Jesus Christ. And see, Jesus came and said, I'm going to tell everyone that the time is at hand. The kingdom has come that Jesus Christ, the son of God and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had arrived. John the Baptist was there as we saw in weeks prior. He was proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus showed up and started doing all the messianic things. He was healing the blind, the deaf, the lame, raising up uh, dead people, like just wild things. And so in this section, we're told that he's going about teaching. And see, in this section, he's back in Galilee. And this is his second time through Galilee, according to Luke, because in Luke chapter four, verse 42 through 44, he was already there. And if you remember, the people asked him to stay with them. And he said, no, I have to go to other places. He said in Luke 443, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, I have been sent. And see, so many times we think, well, Jesus came just to die and to resurrect, right? Well, remember, if he doesn't preach the gospel, his death and resurrection really doesn't mean anything to us because we never would have been able to understand it. I hope you see what I'm saying here. You had to teach the word first so that people understood. Yes, maybe after the fact, we know his disciples didn't understand the things that were happening when Jesus went to the cross and when he resurrected. But afterwards, they put everything together because Jesus had taught them the word that the kingdom of God was going to be theirs as they put their faith in Jesus and in his words. And so Jesus goes about and he's teaching. He says, this is why I'm here. And it says that he was preaching in verse one. And the Greek word is caruso. And it means to herald or to proclaim, you know, like, like a hired messenger of a king was a herald. They would go out and they would proclaim whatever message the king had given them. So it wasn't the herald's message. It was the king's message, but the herald had the authority to go on out and do whatever he needed to do. 
So in this case, Jesus says, I've been given this authority. I'm going to go preach. I'm going to go proclaim glad tidings. And that glad tidings, the word is euangelizo. That's the origin from where we get the word evangelism. And see, this means that Jesus is going out and he's evangelizing the word, the world with the word that is, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand and the way you're going to have access to it is good news. It's the fact that when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, when you confess him with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, as it says in Romans 10, 9, 10, you will be saved. And see, Jesus went out and did that, and he, he showed us what it is to evangelize to the world, to go out and to proclaim this message, that it was God's message to mankind, and it comes through Jesus Christ. We have the same purpose while we're here now as kingdom citizens, is to take that message and proclaim it out, to evangelize. We've been entrusted with that. It's part of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, right? And so... It's awesome because this section, Luke also gives us some details that we don't get in in some other parallel accounts. And he says in verse two and three that there were other people there with Jesus and the the apostles and the disciples and who they were. They were certain women. This is a this is pretty awesome list right here because we have like Mary Magdalene. Right. Her last name was not Magdalene. She was from a city called Magdala. And that was near the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So that's not her last name. That's just where she's from. But it's to differentiate between the different Marys in the Bible. And Mary Magdalene, in this case, it tells us that she was delivered from seven demons. I mean, just think about that for a second. Like, I don't know what you're going through, but oppression and depression, those things are tough, right? But possession, that's gnarly. And not only was she possessed, it says she was possessed by seven demons. Like, guys, you might think your girl's crazy out there, right? But Mary was fully possessed by seven demons. That number of completion, I think, says, man, she was completely given over to just the burdened um, chains of demonic possession. But it tells us specifically in Mark 16, 9, that not only was she delivered by these demons, but it was Jesus that delivered her from these demons. It was Jesus who brought her out of that bondage. And because of that, she's mentioned a dozen times throughout the New Testament in the the Gospels. And it shows that she was committed to Jesus. She was involved. She was always at the scene, right? I mean, you think of the tomb. We studied it on Easter. She was the first one at the tomb. She was the first one to receive the news that Jesus is resurrected. She was there and she went to anoint the body of Jesus. She went to serve Jesus even in his death. She was faithful to go and seek him out. And that's incredible because you look at that and go, man, what? that's serious devotion. But again, we saw last week that woman that was crying and cleaning Jesus's feet, wiping his feet with her tears. Jesus said, those who love much, it's because they've been forgiven much. And see, man, Mary had been delivered from a lot of demons, so no wonder she's faithful to serve Jesus. And then you have Joanna, the wife of Chudza. Uh, Chudza was Herod's uh, financial overseer, and he was entrusted with like maintaining the finances for Herod. Okay, That's the Roman-appointed king over the Jews at the time. And so this guy's the, the king of the oppressor, right? So in other words, the Jews, right, they didn't want Rome over them. 
They wanted Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sorry. They wanted the Messiah. We know it's Jesus Christ, but they wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome. And see, Jesus came and didn't fit in their box because he didn't just overthrow Rome. He came to first slay sin, right? He came to die for our sins, die in our place. He will come again. He will establish his kingdom. The end of the tribulation, he will return. But at that time, the thought was, man, the Messiah is going to overthrow Rome. We can't stand Rome. The desire was to get out from under that oppression. But for Joanna and her husband, her husband was working for this man that was over them, appointed by Rome, and yet they faithfully followed Jesus. And see, to me, this is, this is a great example of someone that is, is a good employee and faithful to their employer while still walking in Jesus and serving Jesus. Like, think about Joseph. When he was in Egypt, he was in, in a place where, you know, this is a place of, of, of bondage. But he never stopped serving God. He never stopped following the calling that he had. You think of Daniel. Daniel was in that, that captivity in Babylon. But even in that captivity, he said, man, I'm going to serve the Lord. And he was faithful to do so. And his witness prevailed. And then Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, right? He was a cupbearer for, for another nation. And that king saw Nehemiah's face was long because he was hurting over the fact that the walls were broken back in Jerusalem. And that foreign king said, Nehemiah, you're a good guy. I trust you. Go out and rebuild those walls. There's a whole book about it, the book of Nehemiah, right? And so when you look at that, you go, there are three examples in scripture of guys that weren't in the ideal situation. We'll call it employment wise, right? Working underneath the enemy and the oppressor, but staying faithful to the Lord. And so I just think it's so cool that you have Joanna in here whose husband was Herod's financial overseer and they're walking with the Messiah. That's, that's a pretty crazy scene when you think about that. Susanna, we don't know much about, but she's thrown in here with a list. It says many other women. And see, this is so crazy because it says that these women were ministering unto Jesus. And the word in the Greek is diakoneo. It's actually where we get the word like deacon or deaconess, like Phoebe um, is mentioned. I believe it's in the... Uh, book of Corinthians or Acts, sorry about that, but Phoebe or um, even Priscilla, right? Priscilla and Aquila. You have people like this that were faithful to serve the Lord. And in this case, Jesus had women in the group that were following him and he received their services. Now, let me be clear. It was still in biblical order. It was still in the order of how scripture prescribes it, but Jesus received that. And I think this is so important because you have to remember in their culture and in their day, man, women were regarded so much lower than men. I mean, in their, in their time, the rabbis, they wouldn't teach or fellowship with women directly. They would not be looking to give them the knowledge of the kingdom. They saw them as being inferior, seemingly almost outcasted. It reminds me again, last week you had Simon the Pharisee who's looking at Jesus thinking, is this guy even a prophet? And looking at the woman that was there crying at his feet, cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair, and he's just seeing a sinner. But Jesus says, no, 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 this woman, this woman, because she loves much, it shows she has been forgiven much. And man, she goes in peace because I've forgiven her of her sins. And you see the proud Pharisee, that man that sat there, he said, man, I don't need Jesus. I don't need any of this. But yet that woman who devoted herself to serving Jesus, she went in peace. And see, in this case, we have these women who have accepted the word of Jesus. We know that because people like Mary were delivered from demons by Jesus. 
They devotedly served Jesus all the time, following him and providing for him and the disciples. And this is church, man. This is what we see in, in modern day, right? I mean, I'm so blessed by the women of our church and the fact that they pick up on the things that men can't handle, right? Men don't know what to do with. We had an awesome women's ministry at the last church I was at, and it, they always came through on, on handling things that men would just not pay attention to. <laughs> and I'm always blessed by them. And so I can imagine Jesus and his disciples going along and just having this group that would be there. And they served him because they believed that he was the Messiah and they believed in his word and his word actually changed who they were. It actually transformed them in a way where they committed their life to Jesus. And see, with that note, Jesus is going to preach the parable of the sower to a multitude near the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse four through eight. It says, and when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, Jesus spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Mark 4.1 and Matthew 13.2 both tell us that the crowd was so large that Jesus had to launch out on a boat into the Sea of Galilee to be able to teach the people. I think it was so crowded that it, they could possibly crush him, right? This is early social distancing. Is what, no, I'm just kidding. It's, he needed to get away from, from the crowd because they were beginning to crush on him. And while he's out there, he knows that his voice would be carried by the wind and the waves that's coming in off of the shore. And so I always think that's a cool thing, right? Because I think it's called uh, aeroacoustics. That wasn't really studied and defined as a true hard science uh, really until 1950, that, that exact term of aeroacoustics, but Jesus creating all things, according to Colossians 1, he knew how the ocean worked. He knew how the wind could carry his words to shore. And the whole point was, he said, man, I'm not going to just leave because all of these people are showing up and, and, and crowding me. Jesus in his humanity didn't say, man, I'm too tired to minister to these people. Or in his humanity, say, I'm too uncomfortable here. He gets in the boat and goes a little ways out so that he can reach everyone that came out to hear from him. And if that doesn't depict the heart of Jesus to say, man, I am willing to speak to anyone, anyone who's willing to come hear my voice and hear my word, man, I want them to be able to hear. And so at this point, you have this big old crowd gathering. You have to wonder, like, why are they there? Like, how do they all know about Jesus? Well, it tells us in Luke 4.37 that the report about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. And see, those reports were about things like, man, he heals the deaf, he heals the blind, he heals a lame man, he's raising people from the dead. There were probably people that were coming out there saying, man, I just want to watch the show. I heard there's a circus going on out here, man. He's out here healing people. This is going to be great. There's probably other people that come out and say, hey, I have a friend of mine that needs this help. And then you had other people that probably just honestly, sincerely said, I want to inquire who this man is that everyone's talking about. I want to know who Jesus is. And I love it because no matter the reason for seeking out Jesus, 
He was faithful to proclaim the gospel. He was faithful to preach gospel truth to anyone that would listen. And so in verse 5, we're told that Jesus speaks through a parable. And we've covered this in weeks prior. A parable is essentially this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? It's the idea of throwing something alongside. That's the word parable. That's where it comes from. And the idea is that you would take, uh, you would draw out a spiritual truth from a practical illustration, right? You could kind of juxtapose and compare two things side by side to effectively express an important truth to those that were willing to listen and investigate into it. And see, Jesus used parables as a third of his teaching um, throughout the gospels. So we know it was a regular uh, device that Jesus would use to try to express kingdom truth. And see, in this section that we just read, this is called the parable of the sower. And Jesus uses agricultural terms, right? Think about it. They were an agricultural community and society. So they were familiar with these things. It, it would sound very weird to us, but to them, this is how things operated, how things functioned. So he takes an everyday thing like agriculture to express the need to receive the word of God that is the gospel. I mean, it is funny though. I think about people showing up, right? They hear these reports of Jesus doing all these awesome things. He's healing people. He's, uh, you know, raising people up from the dead. And as he's doing all these things, they're like, man, I can't wait to get out there and see what Jesus is doing. And then they get there and here's the self-proclaimed and publicly proclaimed Messiah, Lamb of God, Son of God, right? Lord of the Sabbath. And they get there and what's he talking about? He's given out some like cryptic story, some like anecdote about agriculture. Like seriously, if you're showing up for the first time, you're like, what am I here for? This is a weird thing, right? This doesn't make any sense. I thought the Messiah was coming to overthrow Rome and to establish his rule over all the enemies, but he's here talking about seeds and soil and fruit. It's very peculiar. It sounds more like something you'd hear on like Martha Stewart or like HGTV or something, right? But Jesus is here and in this story, he's telling it so that the, the people will, will hear something and maybe they'll take a second look. Maybe they'll be intrigued to figure out what this is about. And in the story, there's a sower, we can call him a farmer, and he's casting seed upon various soils. There's three problematic soils and there's one good soil which actually produces fruit. That's the goal. You want fruit to come out. <laughs> and see, in this case, we have to remember that the sower would go first and he, what would have to happen is you'd have to have that soil plowed. You have to have that soil dug up and ready to receive that seed that you're casting out. So you have all of this tilled and plowed soil. And as he's casting out seed, it's falling on a few different spots. It falls out on the pathway or the, I believe in this section, it's actually called the wayside. Um, the wayside was the spot where the carts would roll along carrying the farmer or sower. As he cast the seed, the cattle would be walking on it. It was highly traveled by all the farmers. So, you know, it was, it was a beaten path. And so you have that section. Then you have the rocky soil. So had grass or dirt or whatever you want to call it. But right down below that first layer, there's a rocky layer. And so there's rock underneath that, that soil. And then you had the thorny soil, which there's some briar patch. There's thorns mixed in. There's, there's weeds growing in there. So it's kind of a mixed soil, problematic. But that last soil was prepared rightly, and it was a good soil. And see, again, I got to think that so many people were hearing this initially. Some people might be thinking this tonight. You hear the parable of the sower, and you say, this has nothing to do with me. 
I don't grow anything. If I try to grow anything, it dies and I have to take it back to like Home Depot. I didn't know. You could take dead trees back to, I think it's Lowe's. They'll give you a new tree. That's crazy because I've killed a lot of trees in my time on accident. I'm not good at farming. So I hear a story like this in my flesh and I'm like, I don't know what this is about. This has nothing to do with me and my life in 2021. But here's the reality. It's a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's going to express kingdom truth if we're willing to look into it. And I'm sure so many people came and said, man, this doesn't relate to me. I'm an accountant or I'm a soldier. I'm, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, I'm a fisherman. I'm, I'm not a farmer. I don't need this story. And see, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that's why Jesus says in verse 8, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'll tell you, anytime Jesus tells us something like that, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Man, there's something worth investigating. There's something worth looking into. And that's what we're going to do tonight. But I'll tell you, I'm not going to explain this parable right now because this is the cool thing about the parable of the sower. Jesus himself will explain it tonight in the text. He doesn't do that with all the parables, but he will tonight. Because it's foundational and it's essential. It's the, the key and legend to all other parables. And so Jesus ends up explaining it. But first, look at verse 9 and 10, what happens here. You have disciples of Jesus. They're confused by it. They don't know what it means. So it says in verse 9 of Luke chapter 8, it says, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And see, this is so cool because his disciples are coming and they're coming directly to Jesus. They've listened to his parable. They've, they're trying to hear it in the sense of understanding it, but they're just not sure. So they bring their questions directly to Jesus and they genuinely desire to know and understand what his words mean. And see, Jesus told the parable in the hearing of many people, right? A whole multitude. So many that he had to get in a boat and go off into the water a little bit. But only a portion of the people actually come to him and say, hey, tell us more about this. We want clarity on this. They Only a handful, compared to the size of the multitude, came seeking him in response to that parable. And I think this is still the same today. But we know the beatitude, Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And see, the Lord is always willing. The Lord is so good. He's always willing to answer those questions, answer those doubts, answer those things that we're wanting to know so that we may know Jesus better, so that we may know more about the kingdom. He's always willing to answer those things. Even in the Old Testament, right? When all of Israel when they were in Babylonian captivity and they thought, man, this is it. Like we're never going to get back into the land. Where's the Lord? The Lord told them in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And see the book of James says, if you draw near to the Lord, he'll draw near to you. Uh, Zechariah 1, 3, I believe it is, says that if, that, that if you return to the Lord, he'll return to you. The Lord's heart is one for fellowship with, with, with his creation, with mankind. We're made in the image of God, but until we are in fellowship with God, now through the sacrificial atoning work of Jesus Christ, that's when we receive the Holy Spirit and we're filled. We're empty vessels that are filled with the Spirit, and then we can have fellowship and communion with God. 
But that only happens when we come to seek him. If we hear his parable and ignore it, if we hear the word of God, if we hear the reports of Jesus and don't look into them, man, it does no good for us. We're left blind. And see, Jesus quotes in verse 10 here, it's Isaiah chapter six, verse nine, where he says, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And see, he's saying this to explain why he speaks in parables. He's telling the disciples, listen, a parable is like a doorway. You can either choose to go into that door or you can stay outside of the door. That door can either keep something concealed or it can be open to let something be revealed. And see, Jesus is in Revelation 3.20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. But the whole point is Jesus is knocking on the door and he's talking to the church at that point, the church of Laodicea. He's telling them, you're the church and I'm out here knocking and you're not opening the door. You got to open the door if you want fellowship with me. And that's what a parable is. It can either reveal something if you go in to open it or you hear it and say, man, this is not worth my time. I'm not interested. And you leave that truth to be concealed and see. So it's either humbly inquire or proudly reject. These are the two options with Jesus. These are the two options with the gospel. And so tonight, I pray that our hearts would be hearts that say, man, I want to seek you, Lord Jesus. I want to know what this all means. And see, there's something crazy about this is that those people that would hear, like it said in verse 10, where it's quoting Isaiah 6, 9, people would hear the words of Jesus. And so they could never in the day of judgment say, hey, God, you never gave us the message you never came and told us. The Lord would say, I sat it right in front of you, but you did not desire to seek into these things. But even in that, there's some mercy because the Lord didn't come, Lord Jesus didn't tell him directly, just boom, here it is. You're going to die in your sins and you're condemned for it. There's a little bit of mercy in the fact that it is veiled. But man, we're so blessed when we choose to, to, to have those things revealed by coming to Jesus saying, Lord, show me what these words mean. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So in other words, parables were not used to blind, but because some people were blind. The hope on Jesus' end and why he teaches in a third of his teachings parables is the fact that he wanted people to take it, like be intrigued by the story and say, man, I don't understand it, but now I want to take a second look. Now I want to go and find the spiritual meaning that's in there. And see, those who hear the parable and choose to consider or investigate it until the spiritual truth is revealed, then they're blessed. And that's what Jesus was telling the disciples. You guys show up here. You ask me what it means. Man, to you, it's going to be given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God but not to the rest. And see, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 16. He said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And man, blessed are we this evening because man, Jesus is going to explain this text to us. Look at verse 11 through 15. It says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. 
and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And see, this is so cool. So Jesus is explaining exactly what it means to the disciples. And you and I, brother and sister online, anyone listening, you're inquiring to know about the Lord because I'm taking it that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ or you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And see, he says here, you're here, you're still reading after I just gave you this crazy parable a few verses ago. You're here looking for the explanation. Blessed are you because Jesus is going to explain it. And see, the parable of the sower, many commentators, and I agree with them, say it would be better if this was called the parable of the soils. Because it's really the soils that are the issue here. The seed and the sower are always good. It's the condition of the soil that will, that will change whether there's going to be fruit, whether the seed will be received. And see, the sower sows the word. And according to verse 11, it's specifically the word of God. So it's not just any word. It's not just nice words or inspiring words. It's the word of God. And we should never use anything else as sowers as a replacement. So many churches, so many religions are out here teaching things that are not the word of God. There's a reason why at Calvary Chapel, we open up the Bible, and it's not just Calvary Chapel, but good Bible teaching churches will open the word of God. They will go verse by verse because they understand that this is where the power is. The Holy Spirit speaks and moves through the text that is the Bible. And see, as we do that, man, there's no need to replace it. And Jesus here, he says the word is cast out. It's thrown out upon all these different soils. That's the idea is as we preach, even right now, there's different soils. There's some of you out there that receive this and say, amen, I agree with all this. There's some people that will come in here for a second on Instagram and they'll bounce right off. There's other people that will see this YouTube feed um, in, their, in their Facebook feed and they'll, they'll scroll right by it when they realize we're talking about Jesus. But if you're willing to, to receive the word of Jesus, you're going to have faith that enters your life as you read. Like it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. But you have to be willing to actually hear and listen and accept the word that's being given. And see, in this case, it's also not love or money or good works. It's the word of God that's the seed. Don't change it into anything else. And so the same good seed, again, it lands on all these different soils and only the last one is fruitful. And it's that soil that's receptive. And see, I think about this. There's so many times where people will say, well, I don't know why the Bible doesn't do anything for me. And it's like, well, it reminds me of Proverbs 13, 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. That word for fear is reverence. Those people that see the word of God as truly being the word of God. That's when it, that's what changes and makes all the difference. And the Lord is so good to, to give us a brand new heart as we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit within us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And if we repent and we walk in the newness of life, man, we experience something that we say, this is true. This is real. It humbles us, it breaks us, and it leaves us ready to receive the spirit of God. But if we refuse it in pride, we miss out on that. And so now we get the different soils. The first one in verse 12 is the wayside. 
I talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's the path that the sower or the farmer would ride along in the cart with the cattle. They'd be riding along this, this heavily trafficked, trotted down pathway. And it's just not conducive for sowing seed. Everyone's walking on it. Everyone's trotting along on it. And it's funny because a sower wouldn't purposely cast the seed here. But it's just a fact that as he throws it out to other places, it's going to hit in these spots. Maybe there's a hole in the bag. Maybe it's falling out of the cart. Maybe just as he throws it, it's a bad throw. I don't know. But as he casts the seed, again, it's not the seed that's the problem. It's that, that hard ground. And it's because it's, it's, it's a ground that's just constantly walked upon. It's busy. And it makes me think about the fact that like if you threw a seed on like asphalt, something paved for traffic to walk along, that seed would just bounce along. It would sit in the road and a bird would come by and pick up that seed. And that's what Jesus says happens on the wayside. And see, it makes me think of Matthew 7, 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So in other words, that busy path, man, that leads to destruction. And it's because you're going the way of the world. You're going in the way of the, of the prince of the power of the air of Satan and the devil. And he's going to swoop away the word of God if you don't receive it. And see, a hard heart has no willingness to receive the word. And it just bounces right off. And it's stolen away by Satan. And it's, it brings destruction eventually. And that's what it says. That's what Jesus says here in verse 12. In verse 13, he says, the seed that fell upon the rocky ground it equates to a, a shallow heart. It's the idea that there's an initial excitement until like persecution or testing or trials come and challenge that immediate growth. And see, I, again, I'm not much of a gardener, okay? But I can tell you this, I could throw a seed in the ground and get a little sprout to go. But if it's not good tilled ground, it's going to hit some rocky stuff below it. And it's not going to have that depth. It's not going to get nutrients and it's not going to be able to, to grow the way it should. And the sun is going to come out. And because it lacks moisture, all of the heat is going to wither that thing. The heat, that hot, intense pressure of testing, of trials, of persecution. Imagine being a new Christian and no one has told you, you're not reading your word. No one's uh, you know, teaching you that tribulation comes to the believer. It's a fact. Jesus said in John 16, uh, he said, these things I speak to you in this world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he promises it. It's a promise of God. We don't like that promise. We don't go get that at Hobby Lobby and hang out on our wall, right? That in this world, we'll have tribulation. We just like the last part that he's overcome the world. But in this case, if you didn't read the word and you didn't know that you were promised tribulation in the midst of this, you might think, man, this is too hard. I'm out. The heat is too hot. And it's because you're lacking moisture. It says moisture throughout scripture represents several things. But the three I think of immediately is the Holy Spirit, who's a fount, right? The word of God, which is a cleansing agent like water, right? Um, and Jesus Christ, the living water. So you have this idea that Jesus says there's a lack of moisture, if you have excitement when you essentially first hear the, the gospel, but you don't get into the word, you don't get into a Bible teaching church, you don't get into fellowship, man, you're going to fall short at the first tribulation, at the first testing, at the first trial, because you have no root in the Lord, because you're not in the word. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So get in the word. If you're not in the word, man, I, I just challenge you, pick it up. Read it until the Lord speaks. That's what someone told me once. It could be a verse. It could be a paragraph. It could be a chapter. I, I usually tend to get a whole chapter in, but the Lord 
should be speaking. Read until he speaks. If you expect him to speak, he will, he will speak. He's faithful to do so. Amen. And so in verse 14, we have seed that's cast into where there's thorns. And man, this, this one hits me personally because I think about all of the years that I grew up in church hearing things like the parable of the sower. I can remember one time in particular, a friend of mine, Andy Montana, was teaching the parable of the sower when I was in high school in the gym at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. And it just kind of went right over my head. I remember him teaching it, but I don't remember it hitting me in a way because it wasn't the sower's fault. It wasn't the seed's fault. It was my soil's fault. It's because at the time I cared for the things of the world. And I did that for years. I cared about, you know, all of those evil devices of the world, the passions, the desires, ungodliness, and, uh, you know, covetousness, all these wicked things were in my heart. And see, Jesus says, man, this seed, it falls into the soil where there's thorns and there's weeds. And there might be something that starts to grow that would have produced fruit until those thorns and weeds come in and they suck out all the nutrients. They pull away all of the good stuff. And the good stuff ends up dying off and all you get is thorns and weeds. And see, it reminds me again of the church of Laodicea, right? They were the lukewarm church. They had the word of God. They were one of the churches, but they loved the world and they saw themselves as being rich. It, it was the idea that, man, they thought that they would forever be, be strong and never need Jesus for anything. They just loved the world too much. And so it's scary because we can be the church, but if we're yielding to the, to the flesh, man, we're going to reap of the flesh. But if we yield to the spirit, we're going to live after the spirit. And so I challenge you tonight, if there's stuff in your heart that belongs to this world, do some gardening. It's time to get that stuff out, to dig in there and pull those weeds. And I'll tell you, it's backbreaking work to do weeding, right? It's backbreaking work to get deep enough to pull all those remnants out. But man, it hurts way more to not do the gardening. It will destroy us if we let that stuff stay present. And see, Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, Luke 16, 13. And so it comes down to mammon is, is money and the things of the world. You can't serve both. What's in your heart today? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? Maybe it's not things. Maybe it's some person. Maybe you've made an idol out of a, out of a, a, a family member, out of a friend, out of, a, out of a, a, a lover. I don't know, whatever the thing is. Man, it's to, today is the day to do that gardening. Get that stuff out of your heart and let the Lord be the focus and the filling of your heart. He's good to give you his spirit and to fill it to the point of overflow. I pray that you would pray that tonight if you're battling these things. Because that's how you get to a good prepared soil like verse 15 talks about. That's the good soil. It equates to the word landing on that pure place. It says where the word with a noble and good heart kept it and bear fruit with patience. And see, it's so cool because there's parallel passage in the gospels, right? This is synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you take the Matthew account of the parable of the sower, Matthew says that the word needs to be understood. Mark's parallel account says it needs to be accepted. And Luke's account here says it needs to be kept. So you need to actually understand the word, then accept the word, and then abide in the word. It needs to be kept. And then fruit will come if you're patiently waiting on the Lord and trusting in his word. 
And Jesus promised us in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And see, it's so important to remember, as Jesus said that, holiness is not just the removal of all the gross stuff. It's not just the purging of the thou shall nots, right? The thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, all those things. Be like, cool, I don't do bad things anymore. Holiness is actually getting to the point to where we're producing fruit, where we're doing the good things. It's like 1 Timothy 6.11 says, but you, man of God, flee those things, speaking of those old wicked things. He says, and now pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You see, the goal is to produce fruit. And to us that are listening to this and you say, that's a weird term. What does that mean to produce fruit? The fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians 5, 22 through 23 talks about it. It's um, uh, faith, love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, self-control, I believe is most of the list. And there are things that don't come naturally out of our flesh. But when we believe upon Jesus Christ, as Acts 2, 38 and 39 talks about, we immediately receive the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we can produce the fruit but again, how are you going to receive the Holy Spirit if you don't hear the word of God? If you don't receive it, understand it, and accept it and keep it. That's how you receive the Holy Spirit. You have to believe in the true gospel. Because if you're not given the word, you don't know what you're putting your faith in. And it's not going to be Jesus Christ if it's not the word of God that you're given. Therefore, you won't receive the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can't produce fruit. But it's so cool. It tells us in Ephesians 1.13, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And see, that shows us that the Holy Spirit is given to those who believe upon Jesus Christ and that faith only comes from the word, that good seed. But man, when that good seed hits a good heart, man, good fruit comes out. And let me be clear, the good, the good heart doesn't come from our good intentions. It comes from a being born again, made new in Jesus Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, right? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new, amen? And see, that's what we wanna do. That's why Jesus said, it's so important that I teach the word because if I don't teach the word, what does my death and resurrection mean? You have to understand it in the sense of believe it or else you're not gonna be able to experience it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, dying and resurrecting, that is the word. It's become part of the word. And it is the only way to eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Not through any other religion or any good morality or anything of yourself. Our righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. Psalms are, yeah, I believe it's Psalms tells us that we don't want to enter into judgment with the Lord because no one living is righteous. I believe it's Psalm 143 too. And so the idea is, man, I have nothing good to offer, but when I hear the word of God and I respond correctly, the power of the Holy Spirit enters my life and begins to make me more like Jesus. And all the way until that, that promise is fulfilled when I enter eternal life with Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's the teaching. Look at 16 through 18. We're going to see the hearing. It's the parable of the revealed light. It's a short parable. It says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, 
For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. And see, this kind of short parable of the revealed light, I believe it's an extension of the parable of the sower. See, if we hear, we should share. That's how these two parables go together, right? Because Jesus is saying, look, you've heard about the light. You've received the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you can lead others to enter in the kingdom by being that lamp on a lampstand. It just makes sense, right? Jesus says, you don't go and turn on a lamp and then go put it under your bed. That would cover it. You don't throw some kind of cover over that. You put it on, on in a spot where it's going to shine everywhere. And I think it's so interesting, right? Because again, Jesus in, in Revelation 2 and 3 he says he's standing between, uh, you know, amongst seven lampstands that represent the churches. And he says, man, I'll take your lampstand away if you will not participate in what you're supposed to do with this. If you don't go out and shine, shiny and bright. Because if you remember in, in verse 10, we were told that we receive the mysteries of the kingdom of God, like understanding of those things as we receive the word. Well, there's people out there that have not received understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And see, the word mystery in their, in their language, it didn't mean something that can't be known. It was just something that was once concealed and then revealed. So in other words, it could still be concealed to others, but it's been revealed to us. That's a mystery in their language. You and I, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we go into his word and study his word and he gives us understanding, man, there's many people out there that still are concealed. The, 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 the meaning of those parables, the meaning of the word of Jesus, they're still concealed to them while they're revealed to us. And it's our job in the power of the spirit after we're in the word and understand it to go out and give the word out, to lead other people into this, to call other people into the kingdom. This is a message that's available to all men and women, Jew and Gentile, all the different economic, social classes, all different races, ethnicities, anyone and everyone need the gospel. And so in verse 17 and 18, the promise is that if we heed to hear the word with genuine faith, nothing will be left secret. We will grow in understanding and in knowledge of the gospel. He says more will be given. And the idea is you're going to have more understanding. You're going to be able to grow in the word and apply it to your life. And you're going to get more than you ever had. But if you say, well, I heard the word of God. I'm good. I heard it. I'm doing great. And I, I don't need anything further. Again, it's like the church of Laodicea in, in Revelation 3. Jesus had to tell them, man, you guys think that you're rich. You guys think that you have it all together and you don't need anything. But in reality, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. He says, man, you need to come and study the words of, of, of Jesus and walk in it as truth again. You need to really believe it. And then darkness and sin will be revealed in your own life. And I'll tell you what else happens is that you're going to become shiny and bright in a way to where the rest of everyone around you is going to see that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He also went on speaking of the believer in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So the idea is if Jesus is the light of the world and then we follow Jesus, he gives us his light. He gives us his understanding. He gives us his gospel. Then we go out as a lamp, a city up on a hill, shining out. 
so that as we've realized what's darkness and sinful in our life, it also shines upon the darkness in the life of our friends, our family, the coworkers, anyone we encounter. And they see that difference and say, man, what is it that is in you that is making you shiny and bright, that's bringing you joy, that's bringing you victory over the spiritual oppression and possession and depression, all the things we battle. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we grow in his word, it doesn't mean we're delivered from tribulation. That's a promise. But we are promised that Jesus has overcome the world. And man, in my weakness, he is strong, right? And in, in my, in his, his strength is made perfect in weakness. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I believe, right? And it's the idea that, man, we're going to suffer things, but his grace is sufficient. And when we live in that grace, when we walk in that blessed grace that we've come and received from Jesus Christ, man, we look like salty and bright kingdoms or citizens of the kingdom, I should say. And man, people are going to want in on that. Man, tell someone about your trip to Disney World or Disneyland and watch how fast they want to go there, right? If it was a good trip, maybe you, maybe you didn't like it. Here's the deal. When you've experienced Jesus Christ, you love it. When you've truly experienced it, and you're going to tell everyone, man, you got to come, man. you got to come out to the kingdom. you got to come meet Jesus. And so that's the idea. The word was taught and given, then it was received and heard. But the last section is about doing, okay? Look at verse 19 through 21. This is where we end tonight. It says, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear my word or hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus's family is coming to see him. There's a big old multitude around him. They're trying to come talk to him and they pull the family card. They're like, hey, 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 we're his mother and we're his brothers. Okay, we want to come talk to him. And it says in Matthew 13, 55, we actually know the names of his brothers. So it's James, Joseph, or Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas, also known as Jude. And Matthew 13, 56 tells us that he had sisters. But we also know, according to John 7, 5, that his brothers did not believe on him until after the resurrection. So at this point, they are unbelievers towards the word of Jesus Christ, his brothers, and I can assume his sisters, but definitely his brothers. And it tells us in Mark 3, 21, that his friends came to take him, like his family and friends. They said, man, there's something wrong with Jesus because we think he's losing it. And you might say, well, why? Why is that? Jesus, it was one thing to declare himself the Messiah, but to start calling himself things like the Lord of the Sabbath, right? In Luke 6, 5, that's deity claims. They're probably thinking, hey, that's maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Like Mary, Mary knew that Jesus was the Messiah. She experienced the miraculous birth and everything else. But as her sons come and they say, hey, the half brothers of Jesus show up and they say, hey, Jesus is saying he's God now. Maybe as they have some deliberation, there's some conversation that says, man, maybe he's just worn out. Maybe he's confused. Yes, he's the Messiah, but that doesn't make him God. This is weird. So it's almost like they want to come and grab him and say, hey, you got to rest, man. You're getting ahead of yourself a little bit. You're developing a Messiah complex. No, not really a Messiah. But there's this idea that, man, you're just, you're getting carried away with this whole thing. And essentially, they did not believe the word of Jesus. 
And so what Jesus says is he's informed that they're trying to get in there. He, he puts his hand out according to one of the other parallel passages. And he points at the, at the people that are there receiving his explanation on the parable of the sower and on the parable of the revealed light. And he says, these people here, these, these are my mother and my brothers. And these are, these are the ones because they hear the word of God and they do it. So here's the deal. Jesus is not negating the fact that those were his earthly brothers, stepbrothers, right? Half brothers and, and mother Mary. And the world considers that the closest possible relationship, right? Blood, right? Well, in this case, Jesus says, look it, there's actually a closer relationship. I, I know they're my family by blood, but there's another family here that they hear the word and they believe it. And therefore they're that spiritual family. That's not just blood born, they're blood bought. And man, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you might say, man, I love my family, but man, I have people in the church. I have people in ministry with me that we feel for whatever reason, we are tighter. And I'll tell you that reason. It's because you're knit in the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's because you both have heard and believed and you're blood bought by Jesus's perfect sacrifice upon the cross. And see this section of the sower, the say the parable of the sower that says you need to have fruit coming out of your life. And the revealed light that says, man, you need to go out and share the word. There's something about doing in this. And see, when we actually do what the word says, we're going to be in close-knit fellowship with everyone else who truly believes upon Jesus and walks in those things. There's going to be synchronicity in the power of the spirit. And man, there's going to be faith there that unites us in action, that, that, that bonds us together as we serve the Lord. And see, it's so cool because after Jesus' death and his resurrection, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he became a leader in the early church based in Jerusalem. He believed upon Jesus completely at that point. And he later wrote in James 1.22, his epistle that he wrote, he said, but be doers of the word in God, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And see, that tells me that James at one time did not understand what it was to like truly hear the word of God. He heard what Jesus was saying, that he thought he was the Lord of the Sabbath, but he didn't believe it. But then some point after the resurrection, he said, man, this is true. I believe it. And since I believe it, I need to share it and I need to walk in it. And see, this is what it talks about. James also said in, in James 2.17, he says, that thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What are you doing today? Let me be clear. You are not saved by your good works. But the reality is, if you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, man, there should be a testimony coming out of your life that says, man, that person is different. And I pray tonight that you've experienced that, that Jesus Christ has entered your heart, that he has changed you. And if you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in the word of God. Hear it for real tonight. Understand it, accept it, receive it, walk in it and share it and do it. And you will be blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, heavenly father, we come before you now, Lord, and we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone out on Instagram or on YouTube Live, Lord, that have not put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that tonight they would begin doing so, even if it just starts with a simple prayer. And tonight, if you want to do that, you can repeat this prayer after me. You say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins to give me a brand new heart. 
Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.